This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Merry Christmas. Oh, everyone, and Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Day. How did that happen? Welcome to the 12th episode of Watch Alongmas. Every day in the run-up to the weirdest Christmas in the history of all Christmases. Uh, we have been watching some pretty a mixed bag of professional wrestling shenanigans and uh, it's either been myself with justin henry myself with matthew Gregg, or matthew Gregg and justin henry together but for christmas day it falls that it's myself and justin henry merry christmas justin merry christmas to you tom are you having a lovely christmas day so far have you had all the all the turkey or not well it's 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 so far so good but understand that what we're about to watch it um i don't know christmas might be uh petering a little bit but we're gonna find out soon <laughs> i'm excited for this one because we have decided in the spirit of the cultaholic classic raw review that turned two years old uh, this year we are going to go back to the beginning and we are going to do a special watch along of episode one of monday night raw in all its glory justin we watched that gosh 100 at least 104 weeks ago can you remember anything from it uh, it was the summer of 2018 i just remember it was the first time we ever worked together and we didn't know how this was going to go. And we've watched, of course, you know, outside of the podcast, many episodes of Raw since then, you know, just in our, in our private lives. And it was, uh, it was very stark just how different things were in 1993. And if we, if we didn't remember off the top of our heads, we got a harsh reminder just from watching the show. We said and it was um, a bit surreal. Well, let's, um, let's revisit some old times, but let's not do it alone. Obviously, Matthew Gregg is uh, spending Christmas in prison, so he can't be with us today. He's not in prison, just, <laughs> just to reassure you. Um, but it is Justin Henry and myself and a special guest, as determined by the random guest generator. Let's hit play on this bad boy and see who comes out. Randomly generating guests. Unexpected item in the bagging area. Now uploading, Rob Bartlett. Oh, I think it's broken, Justin. It just said <laughs> Rob Bartlett. Well, he was one of the commentators on the first show. That's is, is that broken? I think it. I think it might be. Who's that? Is that? Who's there? It's not Rob, is it? I don't know when it's. I'm pressing a button, but I don't know what's going on. Well, what does it say in the directions? Rob Bartlett. Who? Rob Bartlett? Is that you? Who are you? Oh, how did, how did I, what is, where am I? I just, I got this, this internet camera thing for Christmas and I was hitting, hitting the button, seeing if it works. I don't, know, I don't know what I'm watching. What is this? Well, you how, how are, did you do that? I, I, oh, mate, I ain't got a Scooby-Doo how I did that, but we are joined via the, the random guest generator by, by Rob Bartlett, actual Rob Bartlett. Uh, how do you how do you know my name? This is Mate, you're Chad, a legend like round here. <laughs> what? You're a legend round here. <laughs> a legend? You're a legend. For what? 
for the, on the Cultaholic Classic Raw review, you were the the one of the first voices on a t- on the longest running episodic TV show ever. And we have, we've talked so much. We we talked in such great tones about about your time there. And hey, since you're here, since it's Christmas, <laughs> should we watch Monday Night Raw together, Rob? I can't, I can't get away from this. <laughs> it's been. It's been like 50 years since I did that. <laughs> it, just, it, it follows me like a stalker. It's just I can't ever get away from it. It's just this thing will haunt me for the rest of my life. It's, well, what if we were to make this less haunting and we watch Roll together because Tom and I have a lot of questions. So do I. The number one being why? <laughs> why? <laughs> If if you have forty five minutes on this on this on this blessed Christmas day, perhaps we can um, sort things out together and learn a little bit about your time with okay. the WWF, however I'll, short it may be. Hang, hang on a second. When's dinner? All right. Do, do I have forty five minutes? Okay. All right. Yes. Yes, I will be drinking heavily. <laughs> okay. um, That's what Christmas is all yeah. about. I'm okay. all, yeah, but I'm also setting up what I'm going to need after this is over. Um, <laughs> we are going to watch Monday Night Raw from 1993. Just go to the very first episode of Monday Night Raw. We'll give you time to fire up the WWE Network and line that up to watch along with us all right now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back. Uh, Justin Henry, are you ready to watch Monday Night Raw? As I'll ever be. Uh, This feels really weird coming out of my face right now. Rob Bartlett, are you ready to watch Monday Night Raw? No, but I have my (laughs) choice. I'm already here. I said I would. So it's Christmas. I I guess in the true spirit of Christmas, I can... uh, What's the name of this episode? The Ego Crush? (laughs) that's a drink isn't it (laughs) we're going to watch raw you watch along with us we'll press go on three in three two a one a go here we go then nice shot of the manhattan skyline Mm -hmm. manhattan center you're in there right now rob what's going through your head Um, we're, I'm watching, I'm inside, obviously, and I'm watching on the monitor, uh, ringside, and I'm watching Bobby, the late, great Bobby, the brain Heenan. Um, they fashioned this, um, this storyline where Bobby thought he was going to be one of the hosts of, uh, of Raw, and uh, 
he's trying to get in and Sean says it's sold out. He can't. And so throughout the evening, Bobby dresses up in different costumes to try and fool Sean, Sean Mooney and get in, uh, get in to see raw. And he doesn't know who I am, nor is he happy about the idea that I've gotten the gig instead of him. Um, so I'm inside. Um, at this point, I would say the sphincter is on full pucker. Um, <laughs> although it's going to get a lot tighter as the evening progresses because this, so. is, this is just painful. This is just painful. It just, I mean, there they are. I mean, it was, it was electric to be in that room with all these people. And, mm -hmm. um, and there is the prefat Rabio. Oh, there he is. Um, oh, Randy. When I had him, and it was dark. Um. <laughs> yeah, we have to say this because we can see this on the Zoom. Uh, Rob Bartlett is is sporting a beautiful Christmas beard at the moment. Yes, thank you. It's and I like and I like the flat cap as well. You're looking very Yorkshire today, Rob. Well, I figured, you know, I, I should make an attempt, you know, to humor the Englishman in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought perhaps you were going as Bruce Arians for Halloween. Yeah. Uh, now, I thought it would be really funny for me to mispronounce some of the names of the wrestlers. So I think I call Yokozuna Yokozuma. But I also think that Mr. Fuji calls him Yokozuma, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but everyone uses that as an example of how stupid I was. Um, Coco, beware. Correct. Wearing the semi-cheap trick inspired costume. Um Coco Beware, who not too many people know this, um, played Arnold in uh, What's Happening. Um, he grew up beautifully. He did, didn't he? I mean, you never know. Was there anybody that you met on the night, Rob, that, that you struck up a, a good chemistry with, a good friendship with in the weeks that followed? Oh, I, 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 without a doubt, um, Randy, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage and, and Bobby DeBrain, uh, th those two guys were among the sweetest, loveliest, most terrific people I've ever known. I mean, God bless them both. Uh, but they, they could not be more welcoming or doing whatever they could to try and help me uh, fit in. You know, they were, they were just the best. They were just the best. They're missed terribly. Um, so great. So, so great. And there were a lot of people involved in the, um, in the organization who were just, uh, Kevin Dunn, who was the producer, uh, I don't know if he's still with WWE, but yeah, uh, he's, he's still the producer. It's another great guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I just said that the makeup lady, I think her name was Sharon. Everybody there could not be nicer. Gorilla Monsoon was a sweetheart. They all were really terrific people. Um, really great. Really, really great. Now, going back prior to this, um, mm -hmm. this is your first time on the, on the air with WWF. Yes. Was there any sort of, any sort of dry run? with Vince whatsoever, where you kind of got the, maybe flesh yeah. out your chemistry a bit? Yeah. Um, he had me come up to Stanford to uh, the headquarters to take a few meetings. And then we went over to their recording facility, which is on the other side of 95 uh, from where their, their building or their building is on the, uh, on the east side of, of the, the highway heading north. And then the west side, there's a, uh, like a, a, an office complex, uh, and they had like a warehouse basically that had a whole bunch of studios in it. And uh, we sat in a control room and they played a couple of matches and we did the play by play along with it. And it was kind of clear at that point that this was not going to be going well because I just, I, I mean, my son was really into wrestling at the time. I didn't know much about it. And one of the reasons I took the gig was because, you know, my son felt, Really cool that his father was in. And there's a great shot for you, huh? Um, <laughs> you can see what he had for breakfast. Um, and, uh, you know, at one point, they're doing the play-by-play, -play and I'm, I'm kind of reserved in the back. I'm really not sure what to say. And, and Vince is going, Ah, no, 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 no. Anytime you want to jump in, Rob. And <laughs> it was not. It was, he might have known at that point this was not a wise move. Um, because it's a big leap, isn't it, to go, like, from the, I mean, the work that you did, like, talk, talk to us about how you got the gig in the first place, because you were telling us very briefly there uh, um, how Vince ended up offering you the job. Um, Vince is um, a guy, and, and the whole organization, and, and it's, it's kind of cool to know that they still do it, they do more for charity than almost any other um, 
entity I've ever been involved with. They, every week, they have, you know, a whole team of their their celebrities go into children's hospitals and and uh, they show up and make a wish deals and benefits and uh, they do they do so much for charity. And, um, I was doing a uh, uh, a benefit for the Connecticut Special Olympics. Um, they uh, had like a dinner or banquet or something and then an auction and they used to hire me as a as a MC, uh, you know, and do a little bit of my stand up act and then I would do an auction whatever and. Um, it was a lot of fun, met a lot of cool people, you know, and, uh, this particular evening it was, um, you know, all set up with tables and, and Vince and his lovely wife were sitting at the front table and I was, you know, at the podium about you know, 10 feet, 12 feet from him. And he decided for some reason that night to wear a three piece velour peach colored suit and um, I did about 40 minutes just on the suit, uh, much to the crowd's delight. And, um, you know, to his credit, you know, he, he went along with it. You know, later on, I found out that he wasn't too keen on jokes at his expense, but he saw the crowd reaction and he thought, you know what, there may be something in here. And so I got a call. Um, I was going home from Imus and his assistant called me because that's how I got into the Connecticut Special Olympics was through Imus. And uh, Vince said, how'd you like to do, you know, how'd you like to work on TV, do a live TV show every night uh, from Manhattan? Um, I have this idea called the Monday Night Raw and, you know, here's what it's going to be. And, and what do you think? I said, sure. You know, it sounds like it could be fun. And so, uh, and so I just, you know, I, I did it. Um, and it took me 13 weeks to realize it was, you know, one of those things where it seemed like a good idea at the time. And um, I think Vince was kind of looking for getting a morning radio personality who was up on current events, seeing that it was going to be live. He thought that stand-up comedy, you know, a stand-up comedian would be able to work well. Um, and another one might have worked much better than me because I'm, you know, I do a lot of characters in my act. So I would go into voices and, and whatnot. And at one point, I think during this particular show, I do, I do Mike Tyson uh, yeah. who's on trial or in jail at that point for rape. Uh, so that was a really smart move on my part to choose that voice to do at that particular time. <laughs> um, I think I actually said about Yokozuna, I said, that's, that's, that's one big Oriental. Mm. Uh, Vince, something along those lines. Um, so it's just at that point, you know. Um, yeah. there's, there's another podcast, I think it's Old Time Wrestling. Um, a couple of guys out of Ireland do one. Um, oh, old school wrestling, OSW. Old school, old school wrestling. And they, um, at one point, they, they did, they were, they were watching Raw, the first episode. And they, I think the quote from them was, you know, and uh, how do we have uh, Vince McMahon and, uh, Macho and Randy Savage, and uh, who the hell is this cunt? And then Rob Hoffett, the rest of the uh, watch along, just destroying me, just destroying me. Um, I thought gum chewing was going to be my little, my little hook, um, and the sunglasses, and um, and you can see they really spent no expense. Um, in, in hiring the raw girls. Um, she's, she looks like one of the Rhea sisters, you know, <laughs> there's, there's Ghana, Paya and Daya. Um, <laughs> at any rate. Well, well Rob, I, I was going to ask you, you had mentioned how Vince wanted to go with a, with a radio personality in terms of topical matters and, mm -hmm. and just a sense of humor. Around the same time, he hires Todd Pentengill yeah. from, w, from WPLJ. Yeah. The long it was Scott Shannon. Yeah. Um, I, I was just wondering because Vince, I think, might, may have had a vision at this point for what he wanted out of a out of topical announcers or, or on screen personalities. Was there any sort of direction he gave you in that in that sort of uh, in that sort of field? What he wanted. I mean, to his credit, he wanted me to do my thing, you know, because it had worked so well. At the, at the dinner, um, I think part of the problem was you can't be over the top about something that's already over the top. And 
it's hard to make fun of something that everyone takes really seriously. I mean, everyone knows what the deal is, but everyone takes the, you know, the fans take it really, really seriously as well. They should, because I got to tell you, I've never seen athleticism like I saw when I was there because these guys could just go. There was one match. I can't remember who it was with. It was towards, towards the end of, of my run where it went on through two commercial breaks. It just continued. And I just, that kind of stamina and that kind of strength is just, you know, amazing to me. But Vince just kind of got out of my way, you know, and, and whatever I wanted to try, he was game. You know, at one point I thought it would be funny for me to dress up as Elvis. And I did that. But then like two minutes into the program, uh, Doink the Clown came up and, and hit me with a pie in the face. And so all you saw for the rest of the show was, you know, shaving cream on a pompadour hairdo and sunglasses. So, um, and at one point I, d I actually did Vince. He didn't know that. Uh, I, did, I did him when he was away with Randy. Uh, accepting an award for the charity work that they do. And uh, so it was Bobby and Gorilla, who were a great team. They were like Abbott and Costello together. Um, Absolutely. I played, I played Vince. Um, I said not I, Vince, but man along the bottom, didn't it? Yes. I remember yes. that, yeah. And I just remember, I didn't really do anything except my impression of Vince, which was, I just go out like that little come little come on, little I'm not even going to form any words. I'll just come on with them on Monday night. Raw. <laughs> Um, you hit us with a water maneuver as well. Yeah, right, sure. right. Exactly. <laughs> um, what was that, was that? that quite intimidating to be? Because obviously, as you say, like the Abbott and Costello of, of wrestling commentary, there was there any, like an intimidation factor being around Bobby and Gorilla. Well, I wasn't intimidated, but I really admired how seamless they were. You know, they really knew, and they did. Rather than focusing on the matches. I feel like they kind of turned their humor towards themselves and their relationship and stuff like that. I think that was, that was why they were so successful is they weren't so much about poking fun at the wrestlers or the events or anything like that. It was more about, you know, each other, you know, and Bobby having a whole slew of one-liners that he could just spit out at, at random, you know, mm -hmm. um, really, I mean, they were just so terrific together. Uh, they could have made it as a comedy team for sure. No doubt Very in my mind. Much. I mean, Bobby could have been a stand-up. I mean, he was, you know, definitely had the, the personality for it. Um, you know, the Steiner brothers, uh, the first time I met them, or actually, it was, maybe it was after this match, because I'm sure I said something untoward about them during the match. And so back backstage, um, you know, in the, in the prep area after the show, um, they called me over, you know, because I hadn't really met them prior to and. I went over and one of them pulled me onto his lap and then took his two fingers like this and gripped me by my Adam's apple and said, you're really funny. <laughs> oh, Christ. But needless to say, the Steiner brothers were, were hands off the rest of my time with, with WWF. What's that? I see. You should have seen Scott Steiner in the years after when he put on a little more muscle and started fleshing out some of those um, more intimidating characteristics in, in his on-screen persona. He became a bit more of a star at that point when, um, yeah, he's a, he's a charming sociopath. <laughs> As most of them were. <laughs> it's true. We're looking now at the Steiners in action. We've got Doink the Clown, or as you call him, Rob, Dork the Clown. Uh, yeah. wandering around there as well. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Oh, I get it. Oh, my sides. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, um, what was some of the, the, um, the learning curves that you had to go around sort of moving from doing comedy and stand up to being in an environment where everything moves so much quicker and you're reacting in a different way was what was, how did you find that? Well, when, I, when I'm on stage myself and, and most of my act was written while I was on stage, I, I, I never used to sit down and write material. I would have an idea and maybe an idea for one or two lines and then just do it. And it's usually a character. Um, and I would do it. And I just keep doing it on stage until it seemed like it was, you know, honed well enough. And then it just got longer and longer and longer and longer until it made up half my act. And then I stopped doing it. Um, so I, I've always been a, a good crowd worker, you know, good off the top of my head. I got a lot of improv background. For some reason, none of that came to me when I was doing Raw. And part of it was, is I was so conscious about not stepping on Vince or, yeah, you know, here's, here's, here's Bobby. And even dressed in drag, 
he's not as humiliating as I am (laughs) sitting behind the microphone. Um, And, um, but I was so, you know, not really intimidated, but I was just subconscious. I didn't want to step on those two because, you know, and I knew that for the most part, the camera was not going to be on us. And so, you know, again, from an audio standpoint, everyone talks at once, you can't hear anybody. And that's, that's what I hate sometimes about radio shows is you can't, you know, Razor Ramon, there's a, there's a timely character um, that they didn't get letters <laughs> about some of the stuff that we, we did. This heavy duty on the chains there. Yeah. I mean, was there a character that, that, that you particularly remember really loving as you were discovering wrestling on? on I, liked, I liked all of them. I mean, um, Bam Bam Bigelow impressed me because he would show up even when we were up at the, um, the the hockey arena up in Poughkeepsie, because I think one Monday a month, Manhattan Center wasn't available. So we used to go to like this hockey arena up in Poughkeepsie. And even there, when, when Razor would go, not Razor, um, uh, Bam Bam would go up there, uh, he would always bring his wife and his children. He had like three really young children. Like I think between the three of them, the oldest might've been two years old. So there was like an infant, an one-year-old. And uh, just a, a family guy, you know, very, very serious, very, you know, disciplined. Uh, I remember Undertaker kind of really getting into character way before he needed to be in character in the ring, uh, in the backstage area. You know, we'd always have these meetings prior to the program, uh, and they'd have the full Ico Pro buffet laid out, which was, you know, grilled chicken, vegetables, and pasta. And, uh, the the undertaker would be in a corner um with his hat off and he would be squatting flat-footed and squatting in a corner looking down so his hair was covering his head and was that way i don't know if he was meditating or what but he was that way through the entire meeting and he was that way until it was time for him to get ready to go into the ring so that always impressed me um but you know it's just uh, everyone there was like so nice. I mean, uh, Ric Flair, uh, Nature Boy, could not have been nice. He called me sir. It was like, no, 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 no. I should be calling you sir. You're the, you know, you're the royalty here. Um, you know, just, just they, you know, they just, they were a great group of people. They really were. And, and, you know, I got to tell you, Vince is the, is the P.T. Barnum for our era. You know, he really knows what audiences want you know and and he takes chances he's you know he's he's always willing to go to distance i mean i know that that todd pettengill you know was there before me and and long after i left uh, he did a clip show but it was just with him so i think that that probably would have been a better setup for me rather than try to do it live you know um, yeah. because i had very little knowledge of the wrestling and the wrestlers i would ask my son you know for uh, for info just to make it seem as though i knew you know, what the hell was going on. Uh, well, first, I'm sorry, go ahead. I became, a, I became, not a heel, but I became, you know, I became the butt of the joke, which was the, the natural way to go with it. And um, it was, they had a, an event at Madison Square Garden. And so I brought my son and a bunch of his buddies. And I thought, man, we're going to be sitting ringside. This is going to be a show off to my son, this friends. It's going to be the coolest thing in the world. And we sat about two rows from the ceiling in Madison Square Garden. And, uh, so of course, I go down to go backstage to, to talk to Vince about the seats. He said, no, we're going to do this bit where I'm going to introduce you. And we're going to hit you with a spotlight. And you're going to follow you all the way down to the ring. And so uh, I did that. And then uh, I got into the ring. And I was supposed to interview Giant Gonzalez. Um, and I think his manager at the time was Harvey Whippleman. Yes. Okay. And um, Giant Gonzalez and I was interviewing him and I got a whole buttload of booze as I was uh, going down and, and getting into the, uh, getting into the ring. And then the, I, they were making fun of New York and I was standing up for New York and, and, uh, and then Giant Gonzalez grabbed me and did a spock on my shoulder and pushed me down to my knees. And I did what was then going to be my, my finishing move, my patented finishing move, which is run in terror from the ring as fast as humanly possible. 
Um, I, I did it twice. Once, once when Giant Gonzalez um, spocked me in the middle of the ring in Madison Square Garden, and uh, one of the last episodes I ever did when Luna Vachon and the sensational Sherry uh, got into a fight and ripped my clothes off. Um, so, yeah. I remember that being a thing. Yeah, it was, it was quite a thing. So, so far, we're a couple matches into this show. Mm-hmm. And at is this it, point... Did he, is this Amy and Demento? No, it's... Um, is, uh, oh, yes, this is uh, Max Moon, actually. Oh, Max Moon, Max Moon, okay. It's the wrestling yeah. space man. Um, right. Is, it's live TV, and I'm sure during commercial breaks... Um, what sort of conversations are you and Vince having? Like, are you making any adjustments? Is he trying to coach yeah. you through this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's trying to coach me through it. And it's just, I just don't think that I was the right choice. You know, I mean, I, it was completely my fault. I mean, you know, part of me was, you know, really nervous about wanting to do well. And, you know, yeah, I'm a live performer. I mean, I've, I've done stand up for 40 years. I've been on Broadway a number of times. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've done live TV. That live aspect of it, when it comes to TV, I don't know why, but it seems different than actually doing a live stand up act. Maybe it's because I didn't have a lot of experience doing it, but it made me mm-hmm. nervous. You know, it really made me nervous. And I, I was trying to find where I fit in. And I, I, you know, I just had a hard time. I tried for for I think 13 weeks. And finally, I just said, I called up Kevin Dunn and I said, you know, um, I, I'm really holding this thing back. This is so far beyond what I'm able to bring to it. I'm not making it any better. If anything, um, I'm kind of slowing it down. So I, I think it's best if we just kind of part ways here as friends. And Kevin had all these ideas. He wanted me to do some other stuff. Um, he, he wanted me to write, I wrote a, a treatment for a sitcom based around um, a family of wrestlers you know, with a, in the bedroom, the mom and dad slept in a ring and, you know, they were called the turnbuckles. And I think um, we were going to have Hulk was going to be in it. And, and then I was going to do like a Saturday Night Live sketch show with the wrestlers. And I had, you know, written a whole bunch of sketches for like Yokozuna and those guys. And, um, but, you know, none of that actually came to fruition, unfortunately. But it was, you know, it was a great, I mean, I, I enjoyed my time. I was there. I just, I really wish I had been better. I really wish that I had better. I'd done better. But. Well, being a part of this, um, I know you've you've done a lot more in the realm of radio with Imus. You've done, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Broadway. Forty years of stand-up. Mm-hmm. Did this experience? Did you? What did you learn from this? Like, the, did this inform your career going forward in any way? Did you take anything from it that ultimately made you better as a performer? Um. Yeah, it might have made me think about maybe preparing a little bit more before <laughs> before a show. You know, maybe I could have taken the time to maybe think of some some things ahead of time, maybe some material ahead of time instead of trying to go off the top of my head. Um, you know, there's always something that you think you can do better, you know. Sure. Um, and I'm, you know, I get, I get recognized for for this, and it's, over 25 years, right? I mean, I've been recognized for this more, almost more often than I do from being on a radio or, or Broadway or stand-up, you know, or, or, I mean, not as many as I get from, from Imus because Imus used to be simulcast on, on TV and but that was a, a radio show and we really, I was used to doing the radio show, so we weren't doing anything different, you know. Um, uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> Oh, now we have the closed captions. Yeah, I said Sean Michaels pulled a knife. Um, <laughs> I thought I should put the cat. I thought these odds in case we missed some, uh, oh, some yeah, good. So and, and, great- and what you say there about oh, Michael should have pulled a knife. Like it's it's a it's actually a valid point that a lot of people who come into wrestling say. Like my, I have had conversations with my older brother Jim, and uh, and and remember him once saying during the Austin McMahon rivalry, why doesn't Austin just pull a gun on him? <laughs> it's like you, there is a sense of suspended disbelief that you have to kind of float around with wrestling where right. like it's it's everything's got everything's possible but within these weird criteria you right. know <laughs> i hate yeah. you anything can happen in this match but you yeah. as long as i hate you so much i need to pin you for three seconds like it's yeah. it's in that criteria it's very bizarre oh here i am doing my mike tyson oh. there he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. 
I'm in, I'm in solitary. <laughs> I'm in solitary confinement. But, but Vince, is, Vince is having a lovely time oh, as, yeah. you, as you're doing it. He's, he's really setting me up well. He's giving me a lot to work with. Yeah, I noticed um, that. He's very generous <laughs> with like giving you the time to, to kind of showcase who you are. And I'm just dropping the ball. Well, I don't think you are. I'm stuff in the mess hall every day. Well, I don't know about that. That's always been Vince's answer to anything. <laughs> I don't know any. I don't think he answered anything I ever said other than I don't know about that. But I do know one thing. This is the Well, going back to what you mentioned about how this being 25 years old and and you're amazed that people still remember it. Mm -hmm. I mean, does it really like truly surprise you when? podcasts and different wrestling media reach out to you for comments or interviews based it on it's like us basically yes <laughs> I'm, I'm flattered you know I'm, I'm flattered that people even still think of me i mean when, when you look at the vast history that wwf and wwe um and i always thought that they should have had a match between a panda and uh and like bam bam bigelow to, to fight for the rights to the wwf um <laughs> But you know, when he turned into WWE, it's the fans are so loyal. I've never seen fans that are more loyal than wrestling fans. They are just and like, but they could turn on a dime. They could just—it's it's so funny. They'll turn on a dime. I I was hated, and then when I did the thing with Luna Vachon and 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 Sensational Sherry, all of a sudden I got a little bit of people who were like, you know, kind of cottoning to me because I thought, oh, he's he's just like us, you know, he's. Be scared. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it was a great time. It was a great time to be there. I, unfortunately, I caught wrestling right between its two highest points. I was kind of like in the valley between the Cindy Lauper days and then when it really took off and there was that big divide between WWE and, and uh, WWF rather and, uh, and uh, Ted Turner's organization with that, that rivalry kind of permeated mm -hmm. everything. Um, yeah, so I got it right in the middle. Yeah, that was good for me. It is just a fascinating time in wrestling in general. With, with this, and that was the time that we're talking about on our podcast now, which is the new generation era, where you've got this right. company that, that had this great success, and mm -hmm. they're trying to, and it's like they, they're trying to find the fountain of youth again. And, yeah. and, the, and the map's wrong, and they're not quite there. And you can see, like, they come close with some people, but then it's not quite the, t and it's not until, like, 1997 that it really clicks again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, they had such a huge resurgence when the whole, you know, uh, rock and wrestling thing happened. You know, Cindy Lauper using uh, using wrestlers in the videos and and stuff like that, and, and going to live events. It was it was a good marriage. It really worked. You know, then I got MTV involved. It it kind of I think widened the audience. I think it really took it into the mainstream more than it had been. You know. Um, cause I remember, you know, wrestling when I was a kid, black and white, you know, watching these guys, uh, you know, Freddie Blassie and all these guys, um, uh, you know, and it was, it was almost like a cult. And then, and then all of a sudden it was huge. It was mainstream pop culture. And, um, and again, it's just cause it's cause Vince is a genius. I mean, he really is. He knows. He knows what people want, you know, and the only mistake he ever made that I can honestly say was, was asking me to join. That was the only mistake he ever made. Has there ever been conversations? Because I, because they, they bring people back from different parts of the industry, like all the time, whether it's for uh, appearances on TV or whether it's part of network specials. Like if you have, there's been conversations for you to do other stuff with WWE as part of the network or anything like that. Never been asked. Oh, mate. I've never been asked. I was invited, never invited to any of the anniversary shows. I've never, you know, the only people who, you know, bother me are, are you guys, you know, podcasts like, like you and old school wrestling and then one or two others every once in a while, they just, you know, they asked me to come on and, and, and relive the hum, humility, you know, the uh, relive the uh, humiliation, I should say. Uh, I, I, I will say, I'm not buttering up when I say this, Embarrassing commercials like this, no matter how bad you may have felt you were on commentary, you were still way more entertaining than what we're looking at on the screen right now. 
Yeah. These are weird. These are so weird. I, you know, I, every time a new wrestling game would come out, I would hope, you know, especially the raw wrestling games, I would hope that there'd be a little, little animated, you know, <laughs> video game version of me, and it never, never was. Damien Demento. He is a painter now. He is. Yes, he? Yeah. He. Um, I've seen some of his paintings uh, on Facebook. Um, he. Uh, He's he's not happy with me because he thinks that I I was instrumental in in ruining his wrestling career by making really? fun of him and then no one took him seriously and so I I do not want to upset him. <laughs> I mean, with all due respect, his, his, I, I've his, seen his art. His paintings are 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 interesting. <laughs> They're a little scary. They're a little scary, like him, but uh, a bit abstract, perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's one of those things I I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. Mm-hmm. And I really liked his paintings. Really, really, if you're there, out there, I really, really <laughs> liked your painting. How did you hear, fr- how did you hear that there's, there's, there's heat between you and Demento? How did that come yeah, I think he sent me a Facebook message. Oh, gosh. You know, thanks to you, or he posted, and I think it was after I did Sean Mooney's uh, podcast, where we did a the first episode watch along um you know he ruined my wrestling career he didn't take me seriously and you know, unfunny and just not not happy not happy with me wow you know, let me just take this opportunity to apologize for anything that he might have perceived as my as my uh input in, in destroying his wrestling career i always thought this guy looked a lot like davy jones from the partridge family <laughs> If, the, if Davy Jones' mullet was a little longer, he would have looked like this is Mari Gennetti, right? It yeah. is indeed, yeah. Another guy with a very, a very uh, interesting uh, current life. Lots, lots of weird stuff going on with Marty Gennetti in 2020. Amazing. I mean, it's just Marty's an Oliver Stone movie waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great shout. That's a great shout. Oh, that's great. That's great. When you're apologizing to Demento, then I thought you were going to do the proper wrestling style apology of "I want to say sorry for not doing it sooner." <laughs> Did you ever have any interactions you know, Bob, with Bob Backlund? This is Bob Backlund. That was Bob Backlund for a second. Yes, uh, I I don't think he knew all the time what was going on. You know, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think he seemed to like not be in on the joke or something. He, there was always something about him. I didn't know whether he got piled driven too many times or, or what, but he just seemed to be a little, a little you know, postage do we like to say. Little postage um, do. That's a great turn of phrase. Yeah. He, um, he eventually worked in some of that uh, craziness and it was, and it was on screen persona. And there are times when Tom and I have wondered just how much of that is, play acting and just how much of that is is just him being natural so i think there's maybe something to what you're saying there the lines are very blurred you know i i think i think for the most part like any actor would do there's always some of you in what you're doing no matter what character you're playing you know um you know like i've I've played lawyers on law and order and and the good wife and then i played a police captain in, in elementary for couple of episodes and there's always a little bit of me in the character because I mean, that's how you ostensibly make it real you know um you have these really larger than life characters that are over the top this they're still based in a certain amount of reality i mean yokozuna's ass is that big so you know, <laughs> that's his asset you might say you it's easy for him to to bring in i um i used to get mistaken for um, the Undertaker's manager, Paul Bearer. I used to consider <laughs> Paul Bearer a lot. Is that why um, you grew the beard? I, I think it was instrumental in my growing the beard because, <laughs> and it's Paul Bearer was really funny, really funny backstage. Just a really like, and he always would do the voice. <laughs> 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 this is great. 
Um, did, did you find that a, a strange circumstance? Because I'm because at least from my tiny experience in it, like a lot of times when you go backstage, even when you're backstage, a lot of people are. You talked about the Undertaker like backstage. A lot of people are, are always on. Like, is that a weird thing to cut through, especially when you're quite new? Um, no, I mean you, you kind of get used to people being, you know, getting into character. You know, um, I did a. A uh, play in, in I did a One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest in, in college, and uh, I was McMurphy, and so my my entrance was a little into the play, and um, the guys backstage would start getting into character as these crazy people, and so you know the first time it happened, it took me back a little bit. It was like, oh, oh, I get it. No, you you're you're getting yourself into your proper your proper mindset to be a crazy person. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, they were getting into character, but some of them could turn it on and off. You know, I would say Randy was pretty much the same off stage as he was on stage. Um, Bobby, you know, was uh, Bobby the Brain was also. Um, oh, this this always made me laugh. <laughs> Bobby the Brain <laughs> as a like rabbi that. with payas and a beard and a hat. For some reason, the entire time I was on Raw. Vince was under the impression that I was Jewish. I don't know where he got the idea. If he just assumed that all stand-up comics were Jewish. I mean, I used to play Jewish lawyers on TV. You know, I've, I've done a lot of Jewish characters. I played, I played Mr. Mushnik in, in Little Shop of Horrors on Broadway. So, I mean, maybe he thought it was typecasting, but I, whenever you needed a fat Jewish guy, I was the one that they used to call. And, and so I think he thought I was Jewish. So Bobby was dressed up as my uncle. <laughs> Uncle Moisha or something. Um, you think Bobby Heenan's somebody that could have transitioned into stand-up comedy? Oh, absolutely. I think I said it before. I think he could have easily done stand-up. And I think he and Gorilla could have been a great team. You know, they could have been a, a comedy team. And, you know, a lot of times with comedy teams, they could never work alone. I don't think Gorilla could have done it on his own. But Bobby certainly could have. He was that quick and that funny. And and he had the personality, you know, he was, he was on, he was, he was fun to be with, you know, he was, on, but n could not be nicer. Look, anything you need, brother, anything you need. It's like, you know. <clears throat> it's lovely to hear. Cause there can sometimes be that impression that if you're not from the industry, it's a bit, it's difficult to cut through, but how many of these papers and stuff were props? I'm keen to know. Cause it looks like it's meant to be like a, a busy action center with, with topical stories on the top. And stuff yeah. Like I, I think the newspaper was, you know, Vince felt comfortable with it being there thinking that it would be um, something we could jump off on with or whatever. And, um, and then, you know, we used to have the rundowns, I think on, on paper. Um, and, you know, it was just set dressing really. I don't think I ever actually went to the, at one point, um, I remember one of the matches was going on for a while, and I thought it would be funny to act like I was bored. And so I picked up the Times and was just sitting back and reading it, you know, and turning the page. And, and they never, I, I, I saw Vince say something into his, his headset to the booth, and then um, he basically told him, Don't you shoot him reading the paper. <laughs> um, so I never got on the air, but. Um, <laughs> Um, he he pulled the greatest prank ever, ever. Um, I told you, you know, I, I I did him in one of the episodes we did. Right, I had shoulder pads and the tuxedo jacket, and I had the makeup lady make my lips really really big and I had my hair the right way. And, and nobody had ever made fun of Vince before. I guess everyone was like really afraid of getting fired. And so I show up the next week um, for the show. And, um, you know, every, everybody is, you know, filtering into the backstage room, you know, the staging area for the Ico Pro Buffet and, and um, a little pre-show meeting. And uh, Vince is not there. Uh, there's a couple of minutes and, it, I mean, and all of a sudden more people are coming in. Camera guys are coming in and floor managers are coming in. And there's a whole, whole, whole bunch of people. It was packed. The room was packed. And Vince comes in, you know, everybody's chatting, but Vince comes in, dead silence. The room falls silent. And Vince looks at me and he goes, Bartlett, 
you're fired. <laughs> and, you know, everybody had a big laugh, whatever. And um, so the next week, um, I show up at the uh, Manhattan Center. And um, they had, somebody met me at the door who wasn't the usual person who met me. He was some, I don't know, it was an intern or whatever. And he brought me up. And we get up to the floor and the door opens up and it's very, very quiet. And I kind of I walked in and there's nobody in the room. The ring isn't set up. It's just a ballroom. And I thought we had gotten off on the wrong floor because the Manhattan Center, I guess, was an old hotel. And so there were a lot of ballrooms. No, we were in the right ballroom. They had... Done, they were doing the show from the hockey arena in Poughkeepsie, um, and he didn't tell me <laughs> so that I would show up. <laughs> and then they actually shot some footage to use in a later, later episode, just to kind of capitalize on the fact that. But it was one of the greatest, greatest pranks ever pulled. He got me. He got me back. He got me back big time. Amazing. That's incredible. It's... Well, Here I am. Just Paul. I put the black stuff on my eyes. I, I'm telling you. We've got your mate Damien Demento in the ring. Uh, you, I've just I've two two bangers from Rob Bartlett have popped out. Uh, from Demento, it looks like he had his hair cut during a power surge. <laughs> and Undertaker coming out, and you're going. Show your face. You've got such a pretty face. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I think those were possibly the only two good lines I came <laughs> up with the entire 13 weeks I was with Raw. And I spent them all that first episode. There was a line I remember you saying. It was during an El Matador match with, mm -hmm. at, at, at DiBiase. You were talking about what's going to do, cut his ear off and, and wear it as a souvenir or something, making the, making the obvious Matador joke. And I thought that was, I thought it was well delivered. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the stuff kind of went over the heads. Um, it's not to suggest that, you know, the fans or, or, or Randy or, or Vince were not highly intelligent people who were completely aware of culture. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times I would make a reference that just would go, you know, it's like, whew, almost got that one. Um, you know, so... There was a, there's um what there's the the phrase which I hear a lot in 2020 which is commit to the bit, uh -huh. and uh, and I and I and I love the phrase and there's a great bit of I think it's a few weeks from here, where one of the raw ring girls one of the one of the slightly larger raw ring girls mm -hmm. uh, is is behind you and Vince is like oh there you go Rob there's one for you giving it all that, and oh, yeah. you get up and kiss her face off if I remember correctly I'm like yeah commit to the bit I Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. I think even Vince was shocked that you did. I don't know whether you you said that was what you were going to do or whether. Oh you no, were just I, I never told him anything. I never Brilliant. told him anything. I, I would just do do it because I thought it was much easier to uh, to apologize than get permission. You know. Sure. All right. This is um. <laughs> this can't be blamed on you. <laughs> no, no. This is not me. <laughs> this is not me. I do, have one, I do have one, I did contribute one thing. Uh, it was a very minor thing, unfortunately. Um, I named Friar Ferguson. Oh! It was, uh, I think, I, maybe he had two, two matches before he became somebody else. Yeah, but, the church mm -hmm. got involved, didn't they? They got very upset by it. He uh, had a, a, a monk outfit or whatever, and he had the hair, and he looked like the guy from the, the copier um, commercials. Um, and I said, oh, it's Friar Ferguson. And then it stuck. It's, uh, oh, it's a good one, Bart. <laughs> Why can't you do that every week? You know. <laughs> what was you know, the name comedy of is, uh, Comedy is in the word comedian. I mean, I can imagine what his name would have been before your suggestion. If it was just like the wrestling monk or something more generic than that. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, Honka Monka maybe was one of the ones. Maybe it was Honka Monka. Sounds like 
or it monkey. Could have, I don't know. It could have been a Vince creation. Hunk of it could have yeah. been. It could have been. Sounds like a Ben and Jerry's flavor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate chunks and wrestler's sweat. <laughs> oh, that sounds delicious. Tastes authentic. Doink was a lot of fun at this particular point. Yeah. We always talk yeah. about how great that, the evil clown, when they decided, oh, people like him, let's make him a good guy. That's when it went a bit weird. Yeah. I mean, and he actually pioneered um, the whole scary clown thing. I don't think clowns were scary, you know, standing on street corners holding balloons. Uh, to freak people out, I don't think, I don't think they did that before Doink. I think Doink was one of the first, very much a pioneer as uh, as he was, yeah. and uh, yeah. and that and and as Bobby Heenan uh, doesn't doesn't get into the building until the very very end of the show. Yes, uh, yes. that, that is Monday great, night. Oh. Great bit. That's a it great was a good. It was a good bit. They rolled all the way through it. I thought. I um I was like Dink, Dink the clown, which was the mini me Doink. Um, I always thought that that was a a cool little off offshoot, you know, a, a spinoff from Doink. They did a they did a match where they had multiple um, Dinks against oh. multiple small members of Jerry Lawler's royal family, which is a a strange time. But that's uh, we've <laughs> did, we've talked about that at length, haven't we, Justin? <laughs> uh, I think Jerry Jerry Lawler. Uh, replaced me, didn't he? After I left, it was Bobby at first. Bobby Heenan. Oh, Bobby did. Bobby right. Bobby did go in, and then it was Burger King. <laughs> I would say that really they 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 moved it around a lot when you left, uh-huh. and uh, there was a rotating. So really, they never really settled on anybody after you left for a while. So take from that what you will. You were well, there. They were trying to undo the damage, so I think they had to find the right, the right person to do that. I think I think that was not the case. That was surely not the case. But um, so that was Monday Night Raw with with Justin Henry and with Rob Bartlett. Um, what an absolute treat to be in your company today, Rob. Uh, oh, it's just, you guys were the best. I, uh, it's always nice when uh, when people remember me and 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 still want to talk to me, um, knowing. <laughs> You know, I'm kind of like Michael McDonald ruined the Doobie Brothers. I almost ruined Monday Night Raw. Um, oh, it's uh, yeah. you're you're more of a Sammy Hagar in that you brought your own spin to something. Yeah. <laughs> <And> that's me, <laughs> the that's Sammy Hagar of professional wrestling. <laughs> and you're and you're better on radio than David Lee Roth. But then oh, God. Oof, oof, <laughs> that was painful. <laughs> David Lee Roth. Oh, it was painful. It was like. Is English your first language? It was just, there was nothing there, man. And he was so charismatic on MTV. And I don't know if it was years of abuse to his body or whatever, but oh, he was death on the radio. It was, oh, it was just, oof. Uh, Rob, talk to us a little bit about what you're up to at the moment. Tell people where they, what, what you're doing, where they can find you, and all that good stuff. Oh, um, I, I do a podcast. Uh, when I feel like it. It, it, I've tried to do it every week, but even with, with quarantine and me doing absolutely nothing else with my life, um, I, I just do it infrequently. Um, I interviewed Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick um, was the last one I did. And, and oh no, I, I did a silly episode where it was just, it's the Rob Bartlett radio comedy hour. And uh, it's on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your, wherever you download your streaming digital entertainment content. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm teaching. I'm teaching stand-up and uh, and acting uh, online. Uh, it's the RB Studio, uh, the RBStudio.com. If uh, anybody out there wants to really learn how you can be a bad wrestling announcer um, or a mediocre stand-up or uh, ah. an equally weak um, character actor on Broadway, I'm I'm your man. Um, just kind of you know keeping busy to do do. You know, I FaceTime with my granddaughter every day just, you know, because it's it's just the, the best thing I got going for me right now. Um, working on some stuff. I'm working on a, a one-man show about uh, quarantine. Um, just just trying to keep – I'll be doing – well, I, I guess it's, it's Christmas, so it's not too late if you forgot somebody, boys and girls, um, uh, on your Christmas list. Um, as a matter of fact, you could actually do it today. 
um, I, and I'll do it. It's I'm on cameo and I'll, ah. do, I'll do shout outs to people and I'm for Christmas. I'm doing my salmonella's night before Christmas in Brooklyn. Um, personalized for whoever you'd like. Um, one of the bits that uh, I made famous on the I Miss in the Morning program. It was the night before Brooklyn. It was the night before Christmas in Sheepshead Bay. The kids was asleep waiting for the big day. The stockings was hung by the furnace with care and hopes that by morning they would all still be there. Me and the skank was getting ready for bed. I wore pajamas. She had a paper bag for her head. And then it kind of goes downhill from there. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's available if you would like that special someone, a gift that you can get almost immediately and don't have to wrap. Go to cameo.com for that. But, uh, you know, I'm all, just pouring myself out however I can. All the links that you need for everything that Rob's doing, you'll find in the description of this podcast. Oh, you're the greatest. Why have I done this show before? This is just... <laughs> should do uh, this more often. Justin, is there anything else that you'd like to ask uh, Rob? Well, he talks about... I mean, Rob has mentioned, you know, he, in very self-deprecating fashion, his comedy, his acting. I just want to say there was a time, a couple summers ago, actually, that I went to my brother's house on a Sunday afternoon. And, you know, USA Network airs Law & Order SVU all day long. <laughs> <laughs> he flipped onto it. At the exact moment, he was, that, he, that Rob here was on screen with Henry Winkler, yeah. who, I, who I assume was the murderer in the episode. And my brother goes, the font. At the same time, I go, Rob Bartlett. <laughs> <laughs> I think that shows my... I left the wrestling fan. There you go. From from two perspectives. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a cool episode to do. Uh he was another great guy. Uh so down to earth and so warm and friendly and welcoming. And you know, it's funny, it's a really good luck um with people. You know, I, I have not met, you know, an a-hole. Um thank God. You know, I've been very, very lucky. I mean, when I did um, the Good Wife, Juliana Margulies, could not be nicer, oh. you know. And, and after you did a take, she's like, do, do you, "Is there anything else you want to do?" Or, you know, and the same thing when I did Elementary, um, you know, after every take, um, you know, it's uh, Johnny Lee Miller actually directed one of the episodes I was in, and uh, we had this, we had this scene. This is like Doink the Clown following me. We had this scene. It was a dream sequence. I was in my dress blues, and I was at the grave of the captain uh, who I was replacing because he'd been shot, Aiden Quinn, of course he was still alive, but, um, mm. and, um, and and Johnny Lee Miller's dialogue was something like this, it's unusual for you to be in this dream because normally it's a clown with an ax and, uh, and I'm playing it as though it's real. I go, you know what, you're nuts. And I turn around and there's a clown with an ax. So, um, but Johnny Lee Miller was like, is there anything else you'd like to try? He said, you want to do one more? Um, um, do you have any ideas? I said, just say that's, it's, that's the coolest, you know. Uh, the, the last scene I did was a huge scene with Aiden, Aiden Quinn. Um, my police captain, over the course of five episodes, you find out in the last episode that I have um, been sexually harassing one of the female policemen in the, in the precinct. And uh, he goes to confront me at this cop bar where I'm having lunch. And um, we have this whole big scene and dramatic, and I, I deny it, whatever. And, my last day on set, the last episode I was ever going to do. And the, the crew usually on the, when you've done a number of episodes, you've done a number of days shooting, they always say, that's a, uh, that's a wrap for Rob Bartlett. And then the, you know, they usually give you a little round of applause, you know, uh, the crew and whatnot. And so uh, I walk out of the bar, we shot it, you know, on location. I walk out of the bar and Aiden is standing there and he has the entire company all the grips, all the interns, all the APs, everybody is lined up on either side to my trailer. And it was like this gauntlet of people applauding as I walked back to my trailer. He had gotten people to do. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the cool things about the business is when you can, you know, when they treat you really well. And that's what they did with me and Raw. I mean, they, they could not have been nicer and more supportive, you know? And so I wish I had the chance to do it again. I would do it so much different, you know, so much more differently. Um, but it was fun. It was fun while it lasted. I'm, I've, I'm a firm believer that you, you put out into the universe what you get back. Well, you get back what you put out. Yeah. yeah so I, I think it's a, it's a statement and it's a testament to the sort of character that you are, that you have people lining up your trailer. As you uh, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, uh, I don't see anything extraordinary in that to me. That's just the way I am or the way I was brought up to be. It just, to me, it's, 
so much easier to be nice to people than it is to be an asshole. I mean, just it just just simply not as much energy is expelled to be nice, you know. And every once in a while, if you can do a random act of kindness, you don't know what that's going to do to somebody's day. You know what I mean? It's like whenever I drive through at Dunkin' Donuts, and I used to do this when they used to be toll booths before Easy Pass. Every once in a while, I'd say to the toll booth taker, I'd say, you know what? This is for the car behind me. No idea who's in the car behind me. And then just go, you know, and uh, Dunkin' Donuts, a drive-thru. You know what? Here, whatever they ordered, it's on me. Just I, I do that at Starbucks every so often. I try and do it once a month. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's, you get some weird looks. If they, if they see what's going on, you get some strange right. looks. It's almost like we're still conditioned as a society to go, what are you after? What's what's the catch? Here? Exactly, suspicion, right? Yeah, it's suspicion, but it's just like like we're like we're more conditioned to assume everybody's an asshole rather yeah. than accept yeah. that there are some nice people. They'll never yeah. not be good people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, but it, you have no idea how that makes somebody's day, you know? Because I had it done to me, you know. Where where all of a sudden it just it turns your it turns your day around, you know. And if you know everyone did it and you, and, and you would pass it on and you know um, move it forward. It would, can you imagine how much better things would be if everyone had that in them? I mean, it just, I don't know. It's a Christmas seems like a good day to be bringing this up. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's a Christmas message, Rob. That seems, that seems perfect. I think Why on behalf... not the perfect guest? Come on. Come on. <laughs> on behalf of uh, like Justin and myself, like we've been, you know, you, you talk, as Justin said, quite deprecated about your time on Monday Night Raw, but you know what? Somebody had to go first. With a project <laughs> like that, somebody had to go first. It was and the sacrificial lamb. I dove on the grenade. You will, you will forever, and and for that reason, like you, regardless of whether they call back to you for other stuff, regardless of that, you are an important part of the history of a massive wrestling program presentation. You will forever be that. Nothing will ever change that, regardless of how you feel about it. Like you were part of you, you were you were first. You dove on the grenade, as you say, and <laughs> and you did it, and the world will never forget that and you talk about turning somebody's day around i think i speak for everybody when i say this conversation has very much turned ours around ah uh, thank you guys this 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 made my day too which gives you an idea what my christmas was like um, <laughs> so until we next speak what? <laughs> i think your dinner's ready right all right i'll be right there i'm on <laughs> He is at JRH Writing. He is at Robbie O on Twitter. I am at Tom Campbell on Twitter. Together, we are at Cultaholic on Twitter. Don't forget to join us. Merry Christmas. You guys. Love you. Bye. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.